Welcome to a 2015 Kessler Foundation Research Speakers Series. Guest speakers Drs. A.M. Barrett and Peggy Chen present Visual Spatial Function in Daily Life. Dr. A.M. Barrett is the Director of Stroke Rehabilitation Research at Kessler Foundation. A cognitive and behavioral neurologist and neuroscientist, she is also the Chief Neurohabilitation Program Innovator. Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, co-leader of the KIR Stroke Rehabilitation Program, and professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, New Jersey Medical School. Her clinical and research focus is on how knowledge of brain behavior relationships improves treatments for hidden neurological disabilities. Peggy Chen is a research scientist at Kessler Foundation and is currently using behavioral analysis and lesion mapping, looking for the best candidate for the PRISM adaptation treatment. She is devoted to the study of spatial neglect, its related disorders, and its related interpersonal consequences. This presentation was recorded on Monday, December 7, 2015, at the Kessler Foundation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey, and is sponsored by Kessler Foundation. For visual spatial function, in fact, I'm talking about spatial neglect. That's what I study. I study everything about spatial neglect and what it is. So the definition of spatial neglect, here's the textbook uh, definition, and that's what we use in our lab. It's a failure to attend to, perceive, make responses to stimuli presented on the contralesional side of personal peripersonal or extrapersonal space. This is a very loaded definition. So, but at least the first thing is uh, spatial neglect is defined by behavior. So it is attention problem. It's a perception problem. It's a problem in making responses in action. So it basically covers everything in cognition. Um, to stimuli presented a contralesional, so it's the opposite of the lesion. So I'm pointing to my right side of the brain. So if the right side of the brain is injured, this person neglects the left side of space and the other way around. Okay? And I would do this motion a lot during this talk is because most um, patients that we study with, uh, they have right brain injury and they neglect the left side. Left side of three different spatial sectors. Personal space is the space around the body or on the body. So some patients, they may neglect their limb. They may neglect something on their um, clothes. Peripersonal space is the space within arm's reach. It's this space, okay? Lastly, extrapersonal space is space beyond arm's reach. So for example, if I want to walk from this location to John, John's location is my, in my extrapersonal space, okay? All right. And there's one more addition to the to spatial neglect and, um, symptom is something that we do not uh, currently study in our lab, but studying uh, in other uh, laboratories in the world. It's also a failure to generate or maintain a normal representation of the contralesional side of mental images. So if you ask this kind of patients, now close your eyes and describe the room. They would describe everything on this side and then didn't describe anything because they couldn't see them 
in their mental images. And then if you ask you, ask the patient, okay, now I want to imagine you're on the other side of the room and facing this way, suddenly they will describe everything on this side. And they don't see things on this side. So that's, they have mental imagery problem too. Okay, so these failures cannot be attributed to sensory or motor defects. Even though they presented as a visual thing, a tactile thing, okay, an audio thing, or motor function thing. I call it thing, it's because this is a phenomenon we observe. But these kind of failures of so-called uh, spatial neglect syndrome are not related to um, preliminary um, um, sensory problem. Like they, they don't have their, they don't have eye problem. They don't have limb problem. Even though if they have limb problem, if you move their limb to the so-called good side, they're not neglecting, they can actually functional, function better than the neglected side. And obviously all these are associated with functional disability. And today I'm going to focus on the functional disability. Okay, so just to show you something, um, an example, if, I, if this works. So here is a therapist are observing this patient uh, having her breakfast. So she wants to have this oatmeal. And she's also looking for a spoon to have the oatmeal. So you can see that she's not looking toward the left side of his face. Um, but when observing her, I remember her, she can actually turn her head, turn her eyes if you ask her to, but spontaneously she doesn't look toward the left, as if this part of the space just doesn't exist to her. Here's another example in the lab setting. So it's very similar behavior. Even though in the beginning of the session, um, the research assistant already specifically say, here's the paper towel. And then she keep looking and you can see her eyes actually move toward the left. Her, her body posture move toward the left, but it's not paying attention to the left side. And this is spatial neglect look like. And uh, in the lab, we use different kind of assessments to quantify it better. So for example, this is a reading test I did about uh, three weeks ago. So I presented this paragraph in front of the patient and asked him to read. And I underlined the words that she, he read. You can see that he read words on his right side and neglect the left side. And the interesting thing is, after he read this, he's like, this is a very well written paragraph. <laughs> um, so I don't know what he understands, what he take out. And the thing is because he knew this actor, he, uh, he identified you know, the, the movie that this actor played in. And the reading problem also occurred in daily life. And this is an example that given to me by a therapist in, in Saddlebrook campus. So they put this sign on the gym as in, you know, to increase their their motivation to participate in the therapy. But one uh, patient was very upset by this sign because she only read give up uh, and was very upset. And then uh, the therapist talked to the patient later and find out, oh, because she had neglect, she only read half. 
And the patient, this, the same patient actually, he, this patient was home already. Um, his wife told me that he accidentally walked into ladies' room because he only read men in women's sign. So this kind of, we call this neglect dyslexia. Um, it really affects their daily life, um, even with just one single word uh, um, uh, sign. And for reading, obviously, he couldn't read well. Uh, there's other stories that shared with me uh, with my OTs, uh, so I'm going to read it. Um, I noticed that Mr. A would only receive vegetables for his meals. When I glanced at his menu, I found that he would only circle the broccoli from the chicken and broccoli option, or the mixed vegetables from the beef and mixed vegetables option. The kitchen must have thought he only wanted the side dish. After pointing this out to him, Mr. A expressed that he was shocked at the choice of food, but did not realize there was more to the menu. So again, it's a neglect dyslexia, affect a, a their daily life, affect their, their stay in the hospital. He must thought that, oh, this hospital didn't provide you know, enough uh, um, good food options, and he become like vegetarian in the hospital, obviously. Um, <laughs> And, but if the OT didn't realize this, if the therapist didn't know this is actually a neglect symptom, then no, no one can help him on this. So another example uh, by another OT. The first day uh, I met uh, Ms. H, I noticed that she had bruises all over her left arm. In our first session together, Ms. H had difficulty propelling her wheelchair because she kept bumping into objects on her left side. When sitting on the mat, she sat on top of her left hand and was unable to correct herself despite cues. Once Ms. H was able to walk, she would frequently walk into obstacles on the left side and get her hand caught in objects in the environment due to her lack of awareness on the left side. And this, you can see, neglect affect not just reading, not just finding things on the dining table, it affects uh, mobility, even though they could physically able to use wheelchair or even they could walk. It's unsafe for them to walk around the environment. Um, and uh, so we, so this project started in 2011. Since then, OTR is much more aware of uh, neglect problems in, in hospital setting. Now we're educating, um, working more with nurses and, uh, and PT and speech therapists to, to, to help them know about neglect and how they can integrate some, some techniques in their therapy to address neglect uh, symptoms. <coughs> and here's another way that's more like a neuropsychological test that we use in, in, the, in our lab to quantify neglect. This is called the star cancellation task and it's, it's used uh, on three campuses, all three KIR campuses. So the task was to circle, uh, not circle, to cancel out small stars on this piece of paper. And then there's one behavior of neglect patients is very classic that this person only cancel out things on the right side, neglecting the left side. And you can see another um, behavior that you, we can observe on this task is so-called perseveration. So one target was being um, marked multiple times. And it doesn't happen in all neglect patients, but it's related to neglect symptoms. And Megan Cofield is here. If you want to know more about perseveration, please talk to her later. And then um, here's another um, thing that uh, we assess with neglect patients, that's clock drawing. 
Roger's not in the room today. She will love it. He will love this. Um, so, neglect patients. So each clock was drawn by one uh, different neglect patients. You can see the the common thing is uh, they draw their own clock, the circle, and then they put numbers and and hands in in this circle that they just produced. Even though they could draw the entire circle, but they put things relative everything on the right side rather than on the left. And here is the phenomenon is the same as perseveration. So this, this person keep counting past 12, like 13, 14, keep drawing it. And this phenomenon has been observed since 1930s, 1940s. Um, but somehow we couldn't address it effectively yet with treatment. Another, another thing that we did in the lab uh, is using um, um, figure copying to see, uh, to quantify neglect symptoms. So this is a model, trees and houses, that's what we call it, um, and ask patient to copy this, this figure down here. You can see that patient only copied the right side and neglect the left side. Even within an object, you know, the wall of the left side of the house is missing. Here's a more dramatic example. So this patient copied each object, but neglect the left side of single object. So we call this object-centered neglect. So the majority of patients that we see in clinical setting, they have viewer-centered or body-centered neglect. So ne they neglect left side of their space. And patient in this case, they neglect left side of single object. And it's it occur about like 30 to 40 percent of ne all neglect patients. There's other ways to detect object-centered neglect like this. <coughs> it's a cancellation task again. The task is to cancel out all the full apple and neglecting any apples with openings. So this is a correct response. You can see this patient also cancel out things like this only consistently with apples with opening on the left side rather, on, rather than on the right side. So the patient, so it, regardless how big the stimulus is, see, so this, this shape is relatively bigger than this one, but he or she still thinks this is a full apple rather than a, um, you know, an apple with a bite. There's only one on the right side, the Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly here. Um, but it's more consistent, so uh, it's, it's relatively fewer, these cases. Yeah. Good eyes. <laughs> Any questions so far? Okay, so all these, all these things that we did in the lab, this called paper pencil based or psych neuropsychological tests, are fascinating okay, uh, and also too easy to quantify. However, it's harder for us to communicate with clinicians. They would say, oh, so this is interesting. Um, <laughs> and how can they treat? How can they do something? So that's why uh, the, the, the stories that I shared with you was actually started from this idea that how can we communicate with therapists to help them understand what we do to help them to address neglect in their uh, clinical setting. So we used Catherine Baker scale 
and develop. So use this as a foundation, use the scale as a foundation, and developed Kessler Foundation Neglect Assessment Process, or KFNAP, to help therapists using these 10 daily life categories to observe neglect. Um, so for example, gaze orientation, whether the patient look more spontaneous to left or right, whether they are aware of their limb, their left limb versus right limb, um, whether they pay attention auditorily, uh, or do they know their personal belongings, even though it's just right you know, in the open, like on the, on the, on the table, whether they could dress themselves you know, sy symmetrically, left versus right, whether they groom. So for example, I'll show you, like especially in male patients, they only shave once out of their face. And, the, and for female patients, I, I think patients only do one side of um, makeup. Um, so they, they, they need supervisions basically to, to remind them they haven't done things completely or effectively on both sides. Or whether they can navigate uh, effectively, whether they bump into things, into walls or furniture, or during the meal. So the video I showed you earlier is actually part of the KFNAP de development. We observe, we really just sit down and observe <coughs> how, they, how they eat their meal. So this is an, an actual assessment that we did in lab uh, earlier this year. So this in, with these 10 categories, we can calculate <coughs> a score and then categorize whether the neglect, it was no neglect, absent, mild, moderate, or severe. Yes? Could it be possible uh, for a patient uh, to be left side special neglect on one category and the right side neglect on the other categories? Uh, it is possible then. So this is, this is basically an obser uh, observational. So if, if someone, which I haven't observed anyone like that yet, um, then it's not consistent, then we may have another assessment to make sure that's really the case or the patient may have something else than neglect. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, so all these I just presented to you are based on stroke research. So spatial neglects actually started back in the days by uh, neuropsych, well I don't know if at that time, we, yeah, probably there's neuropsychologists in 1900. I don't know if they call themselves neuropsychologists, but most of them, like they are researchers, they study brain and behavior, and uh, they're neurology slash neuropsychologists, and they, they document these you know single case patients, and these patients they could have different kind of brain injuries, like traumatic brain injury, tumor, or post surgery, and only recently neglect is focused on stroke population. Oh, sorry, before I go there. Um, Yes, so this is just to show you that KFNAP was, uh, we, uh, earlier this year we published, uh, it's, it's validated and uh, uh, we want, we, and it is um, uniquely measures uh, spatial neglect during activity of daily living, like these 10 categories. And, and here's what I want to talk about, that's, uh, it's focused on stroke research so much that, um, it's not just us, other people also publish that how spatial neglect affects stroke rehabilitation. Um, that they stay in the hospital. In the KIR system, neglect patients stay 10 days longer than non-neglect patients. 10 days longer, that means a lot of uh, health care costs. That means also even, even though they stay much longer, their outcome, their functional outcome is not better or not at the same level as non-neglect patients. 
And also in this study, we found that neglect patients in stroke population, they fell more in hospital. So it's become a liability issue. And because of this study, I got called from CEOs from all three campuses, like, Peggy, we need to address this. I'm like, this, you need to address this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, based on stroke research, uh, based on lesion analysis, this is the network that we know that is critical for spatial neglect. So even though I I, I, I'm not like you, like pinpoint which part of my brain, you know, uh, it's actually this entire brain, if it's anywhere <coughs> here, uh, damaged, it's highly likely uh, I would develop spatial neglect because it's a, it is actually a network-based um, disorder. So these are the critical areas that a lot of people, like 10 years, not 10 years ago, eight years ago when I first started uh, studying neglect, and I told people I studied neglect, they were like, oh, it's a parietal thing. Like, uh, no, it's not. Uh, it could be a temporal thing. It could be a frontal thing. It could be subcortical thing. Uh, it's a whole network. So now that's also what we focus on. We use uh, MRI uh, imaging to first to replicate this and also work with other peoples uh, in, in this general New York, New Jersey area to find, to keep repli uh, replicating this network, why it is so critical for spatial neglect. And here's the current theory. Uh, um, even though it is, it is high, well, so this is the lesion on the right brain, but the two brain, two hemispheres work together to represent our world. So. Um, the hypothesis is, can be traced back to 1970s about the two hemispheres work together and inhibit or support each other. So when the right hemisphere is damaged, the left hemisphere become dominating. Sorry, the, yeah. When the right hemisphere is damaged, the right hemisphere becomes dominating and, and inhibit the right hemisphere. So this negative sign meaning inhibiting. So the patient will pay more attention to the right side and relatively neglecting the left side. My theory about neglect is it is a disorder of spatial attention, but attention include not just spatial elements. There's, there are also non-spatial elements like arousal, like uh, uh, sustained attention, divided attention, different locations. So all these are connected. So um, working with patients more and more, and based on my experience, I really think this could be a good theory to describe why patients behave the way they are. So if they're tired, for example, their neglect symptoms are uh, more, uh, um, presented more severe. Or if you ask a neglect patient to do two tasks at a time, like for example doing cancellation tasks while doing some mental calculation, their neglect symptom will be much more, much more severe than doing one task at a time. So, so based on this theory is arousal, non-spatial element kind of attention would be the base. And then uh, all these critical areas are for spatial element of attention. <coughs> Okay, so the next part of the, my talk is to tell you about um, a study that I published uh, about a couple weeks ago on TBI patients. So like I said earlier, uh, when, when the glass study started, uh, it, not, it, it, doesn't, it didn't just uh, focus on stroke patients, but other types of patients. But only recently it focused on stroke population. For TBI, for some reason, there's only one 
really, there was only one prospective cohort-based TBI uh, <coughs> paper out there. It, it was published in 2006. And I tried to contact the PI. Um, she already passed away. Mm. Um, so um, unfortunately, like, th that group didn't continue the line of research. And I, I hope that we can pick it up um, because we have good resources here and we have a lot of TBI researchers here. So uh, in order to make point that I, I work with uh, KIR, uh, I work with Irene, a lot of you know who she is, and she's a PT. I work with Kimberly Reha a lot. She's a OT and then two medical residents to make this work possible. So, oh, by the way, what I meant by um, rehab, uh, success of inpatient rehabilitation is to look into these outcome measures. So we, use, we look at FIM. I'll t tell you what FIM is. And uh, uh, length of stay, how long they stay in the hospital in KIR and discharge disposition. So it is better they go home rather than subacute or uh, nursing home. And whether they have acute transfer, whether they were transferred to acute care hospital uh, during their stay. Okay, so here is a picture taken by, Jody's not here. Um, so this, this patient, you can see that he only shaved on the right side and neglect the left side and had this tilted glasses symptom that because <laughs> He have obviously for me. Uh, he has um, personal space neglect. Okay, what is FIM? A lot of you use FIM in TBI lab, in NNL, in SCI lab. But a lot of you may not know what FIM really is. Uh, it is critical because it's tied to billing. It started in 1987. Soon, in the same year, it was endorsed by AAPMR and ACRA. AAPMR is the conference for um, rehab doctors. And ACRM is a conference uh, attended by a lot of therapists, PT, OT, speech, and nurses. So I think endorse means that they all agree that's use FIM as our outcome measure. Uh, functional assessment performed, so FIM is performed by trained members of interdisciplinary rehabilitation team, so including PT, OT, speech therapists, and nurses. So in KIR, the same thing. All four disciplines, they, um, they uh, share the responsibility to use FIM to, to assess patient's function. And FIM including 13 motor items and five cognitive items. And I don't know if you can see, probably you can't, I'm sorry. So the 13 items are like eating, whether they go to the, they can go to the bathroom, whether they can dress their, their upper limb, whether they can dress their lower limb, whether they can transfer from bed to chair, or where they can, whether they can um, shower by themselves, whether they can walk or go up and downstairs. These are the, so the motor items. The cognitive items including comprehension, social interaction, expression, memory, and problem solving. And each item was scaled uh, from one to seven. And one is total assistance. There's no zero in FIM. Uh, one is the lowest score for each item. And the seven means complete independence. Okay. So in 2000, so that was in 1987, in 2002, um, this organization, Uniform Data System for Medical Rehabilitation, granted a, a loyal free license to Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to incorporate FIM into their new inpatient rehabilitation prospective payment system. 
So that's why I'm saying that why it is so important because admission fin. So in KIR, for example, patient will get their admission fin within the first three or four days. And that admission fin score already uh, project to the final payment. So it's very important uh, component. And starting in 2006, Medicare providers are reimbursed on a pay-for-performance pay basis. And the, the performance is based on FIM. Um, so performance or quality of care is evaluated by discharge FIM, FIM change. So FIM change is the difference between admission and discharge, length of stay, how long the patient stay in the hospital, the shorter the better and community discharge rate. So it is preferred that patient discharge back home and acute care hospital discharge rate. So basically these are what I, what I, what I was looking at in the study. So back all these I'm going to describe to you. So my question is whether neglect, spatial neglect in TBI population affect any of this. All right, so the method. Uh, I may not have enough time to go through. But anyway, so, so we Take look into this time period and we got about, uh, oh, not about, we got 359 TBI admissions. We excluded 17 uh, because we want to set a time frame. Like we only include patients uh, who are there with, um, no more than 100 days post-injury. And for patients with multiple admissions, we kept the last one because the last one uh, um, indicate they have a more uh, complete, comprehensive uh, inpatient rehab program. So then we had final 295 admissions, one patient per admission. And then we come to the problem. That's the first time I, uh, um, uh, well, because a lot of patients in KIR, if you knew, that they, they can't because they fell. They fell because they may have stroke. So mm -hmm. I need to exclude a lot of patients based on that. So if a patient had his prior history of stroke or they co the stroke and TBI co-occurred or uh, they have um, TBI after stroke or before, we exclude them. Okay, another thing about TBI is they may have con disorder of consciousness and we need to exclude them because as I show you, ne neglect assessment requires some kind of, some level of cognitive um, um, competency to do them. So I exclude patients with disorders of um, consciousness. But as a TBI research, yes? How did you recruit these patients? Uh, I didn't recruit them. This is a retrospective analysis. So oh, I just go back to the chart. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, so this is a big problem in TBI, uh, um, <coughs> disorder of consciousness. And because of excluding this patient, that means we exclude a huge proportion of uh, TBI population. So first thing I want to know whether I have some selection bias. So. Well, it turned out I did. Um, so people with uh, disorder of consciousness, they are more likely to be male. They're younger. Um, they have, well, they have different kinds of injury, but, but, um, but people who do not have disorder of consciousness, they're more likely um, uh, fell. That caused their brain injury. But the, this group of patients, they have other things like motor. They're more likely to have a uh, motor vehicle accident or eat other assault type of injury. And also, they, people who have, uh, let's call it DOC, who uh, have DOC, they, they, they actually, uh, they come to the IRF, come to the rehab setting later. So that means they stay in acute care longer. 
um, and then they come to the rehab setting. And they, uh, they have more IRF admissions and they stay in hospital longer. Uh, they have, basically their outcome is just worse than people who do, do not have docs. So just to keep in mind, my data only apply to patients without disorder of consciousness. Okay. Okay. So how did I determine whether a patient have neglect or not in the retrospective analysis? Luckily in KIR they use star cancellation since Dr. Barra came on board. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, so all of them have this. And also even though they didn't have KFNAP, but some of them had Kathleen Begego scale. So I use this too as my, my uh, indicator whether the patient have neglect or not. So all these numbers. So the thing is I want to, I want to include as many people as possible. So if patients have star cancellation or Kathleen uh, Begego scale, I will include this patient. But because it's a retrospective chart review, some patients, for example, if they say, the, the therapist will say, oh, this patient did star cancellation, but there's no result. I don't know why it's not uh, recorded, but then I, had, I just have to exclude them. So at the end, I have to exclude 59 patients because uh, they, are, they, they were not assessed for whatever reason, or their assessment result was not clear. And again, I just try to. I just want to know whether there's any selection bias. Uh, luckily, looks like I did. There's none uh, significant selection bias based on whether the patient was assessed for neglect or not. Okay, so the first outcome, length of stay. So in this cell, you will see patient without spatial neglect, SN negative, and this cell you will see patient have posi uh, SN positive. But before we see that, you can see. So at the end, I have total number of 156, and 47 of them have neglect. That's 30% of TBI population. That's a lot. When I told this to outside this room, they were like, oh, that, that's, a, that's a big number. So because before then, I, when, I, when I talk about neglect and TBI, they were like, oh, it's rare. No, it's only stroke, yes. Well, it's not the TBI population. Mm -hmm. you, you excluded the miles. Right. Mm -hmm. You've also proved the very severe, so you have yeah. to be careful with Right. So with patients, with TBI patients who require inpatient rehabilitation and without disorder of consciousness. Okay, so yes, and neglect patients, they stay longer, five days longer than non-neglect patients. Five days longer means a lot, about $10,000 more um, than non-neglect patients. Okay, so here is the theme. So at admission, neglect patients are worse. At discharge, they're worse. And they change less. That means they improve less. So if I control for the days, so the change per day or improvement rates, neglect patients improve slower than non-neglect patients. But most importantly is here that even though they stay five days longer, their discharge fin was not as good as non-neglect patients. And um, discharge disposition, neglect patients are less likely to go home than non-neglect patients. And all these are bad indicators um, for rehab quality, rehab outcome. 
And that's it for this, my TBI research on neglect. And uh, this is just a joke that I didn't know about <laughs> this until neglect patients say end when I present this word to him. Um, so, and now I turn to okay. Dr. Barrett. Great. So I will just uh, say like uh, one or two words um, uh, and then you know, give you all some chance to interact informally with Dr. Chen about her great work. I think the one thing I would say just to comment on your wonderful presentation is there used to be um, a neuropsychologist named Robert Martin in the Kessler Institute system who had worked with John White previously in, uh, at Moss Rehab. And he used to have procedures that he would even use for patients with disorders of consciousness. Because in his opinion, even those patients who were more severely affected uh, did show asymmetric orientation and uh, attention and perception as Dr. Chen described. The problem is that the instruments that are used, things like star cancellation can't be used obviously, right, in those kind of patients. So it doesn't mean that they don't have spatial neglect. They may indeed have it. So I'm going to, I brought a, a number of slides, but what I'm just going to show you is like two things, I think, so that we can all um, uh, think a little bit and then have some informal interaction. And the main thing I think I'm going to say is just that in spatial cognition, what we do, and Dr. Chen showed you some stuff from the laboratory, but what we do here, I think across our different programs, is we think about how for functional disabilities, how can we use scientific ideas to improve what happens with patients every day. And one of the things Dr. Chen and the rest of us in the in the stroke program have been working on is really using um, an adaptation of what people are doing in the laboratory for improving performance of, of therapists and of, of treatments. And so um, I and other people have talked about in spatial cognition, you know, Dr. Chen produced or, or presented to you that there's perceptual attention, there's internal images and there's output, and that's all very interesting and elegant to think about, but really what does that have to do with what we do for patients. And if you think about it, what Dr. Chen has really been talking about is that we can measure and we can use output-related performance. And the, you know, she showed you the Catherine Bergigo scale and the KFNAP, and the processes that she's brought forward, not just here at Kessler Institute, and our, which is our, our um, clinical collaborator, right, but at a number of other institutions in the, in the rest of the country and then also internationally. And what's exciting is that really objectively assessing this performance part was not part of anybody else's toolbox um, very commonly. And Dr. Chen is really bringing that forward so that we can look at aiming and motor function. So I'm not going to go into it in detail, but we have essentially de developed also laboratory methods. Um, and this is um, Gary Larson, always uh, very, very eloquent in um, talking about you know, uh, problems in a way that's going to get our emotions into it. But if any of you want to come and visit with us up at the, t at the front after this talk or come over and visit the lab, some of you might have looked into the stroke lab in the past and you've seen um, that we have this kind of machine with um, video that's near and far. And what we do is we use that to assess these different components because basically if you look at input versus output components as people do a task like line bisection or cancellation, and you know, we talk about that sometime in the future, you can kind of divide when people have problems with stuff coming in versus stuff coming out. And the importance of that just is that, um, you know, Dr. Chen and a number of others, this is Kara Piggott who used to work with us, and we've been able to publish a, a number of papers kind of showing that this apparatus can be used to forecast how people perform. And really, someday we may be able to use a combination of clinical 
and performance-based uh, methods and even laboratory methods to understand better how people are, are doing when, when they have spatial neglect and how they might respond to different kinds of treatments. Because essentially, we have an, a whole n bunch of treatments that assess attention and perception and d that address that level of, of processing. But we don't have a lot of motor-related or spatial aiming-related um, processes. And so really, in order to do that, do the most effective treatment, can we put those two things together? So I won't, I won't kind of belabor this, but, we but um, we've done some different studies of this, and essentially what we want to try to do is put together laboratory, daily life function, and brain anatomy and physiology, and, and um, Dr. Bukrina, Dr. Chen, uh, and a number of us within the stroke program are attempting to, to knit those aspects of, of science together in a, what we'd like to call a translational way, even though we don't do drug development in our laboratory. Not yet. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, see what, yep. Yeah.